Welcome to episode 12 of Hit Sing All. It was an interesting week for NFL and college football. So we'll bring on someone who will we'll, uh, touch on his teams quite a bit today. So uh, we'll bring back Will Muckian. How's it going? Oh boy, good to be back. I wish it was under better circumstances, but yeah. we're here. Yeah, I mean, it happens. Uh, one of them is especially fun for me. The other one, whatever, neutral. But we'll start with happy stuff. So let's start with our love 30s. What do you got? Okay. Uh, I have Bill Hader wins an Emmy. Um, I I am a huge fan of Barry. Uh, I don't know if you've seen Barry, given your, I don't know, resistance to watching really good <laughs> HBO shows. But I've seen Barry, um, don't worry. Primal, if you're listening, turn it off. Far... <laughs> Uh, definitely far and away some of the best acting I've seen in a TV show this year. It was the best HBO show this year. I don't think that's really that spicy of a take either. And uh, for Bill Hader, an actor that I've really come to love and appreciate, it was really rewarding for me watching him get the award he so justly deserved. Despite not me not really putting a whole lot of stock in this stuff, it was nice to see that they got it right. Yeah, for sure. I I don't really follow the Emmys that much, but... Yeah, I mean, Barry has been definitely one of my favorite shows to watch the last couple of years, and he's great in it. And I'm also a big Bill Hader fan. Like, I don't think I've ever seen anything that I didn't like him in. So this is definitely well-deserved for him. And how about you? I just have one, and it's uh, that Ohio State looks good. Like, I, I, I obviously expected a, an improvement over last year. I mean, last year was just brutal that defense made me want to gouge my eyes out but this year has been a lot more fun to watch and we had a slow start against Miami this past week but then we put up 76 straight points so whatever (laughs) (laughs) but the defense looks so much better flying around making plays the linebackers don't seem to be out of position which was pretty much the main issue last year Uh, just giving up big plays because our Mm -hmm. linebackers were just god-awful and it was all scheme. It's not like they didn't have talent. It's just the scheme did not play well to the linebackers we had. But this year has been much more fun to watch, and the offense seems to be humming. We're back to running the ball at a, like consistently, so it's it's fun. I like it. I know that may not be great for you, yeah, but must be nice. <laughs> <laughs> all right, um, we'll go on to word association and. Um, since we're on the topic of college football, we'll just start straight with um, Michigan gets smoked by Wisconsin. And uh, what was that score? Like 38 to 14? Something like that? I don't know. I already forgot about 35 it. 35 to 14. I blotted <laughs> I it out of my brain. Yeah, my word association is antique roadshow. Uh, this was, to put it softly, to put it lightly, disappointing. Um, Michigan's offense 
has not taken off again to probably the understatement of the year. It was expected to do great things under Josh Gaddis. And it looks like Jim Harbaugh still doesn't want to scheme an offense that plays passes like they're worth, like they're worth anything. Uh, so not great. Not, not what you want to see. Um, and can't help but feel like Michigan has already kind of nailed the door shut on any playoff hopes, given that this is a loss to, Oh, it's Wisconsin team that looks legit. Yeah. Um, my word was bench Shea because, man, it's – I don't I, – I thought that Josh Gattis hire was going to kind of open up the offense and take advantage of his talents more because he is more of like a, a scrambling type of quarterback. Like you want him on the move. You don't want to make him into mm-hmm. a pocket passer, and they just haven't done that. And an interesting yeah. point that I saw someone bring up is that – when or after last year, when Alabama, like both their offensive like masterminds, kind of left the left the program in um, Josh Gaddis and Mike Loxley, it was at the time. I remember reading some stuff that a lot of people thought that it was really Gaddis who was the mastermind behind the offense, and that's why people were kind of questioning the Loxley hire for Maryland. But now it seems to almost be the other way around where I've now seen people saying that, Oh, well, Gaddis wasn't even the guy who called plays at uh, Bama. It was Loxley. And you kind of saw that in the first couple games for Maryland where their offense exploded for whatever, like 70, 80 points and Michigan's offense keeps back to back weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Back to back weeks. Uh, And then they got shut down by temple, but I mean, they, they were showing signs on offense where it seemed like Loxley was actually that mastermind, but now, yeah, I mean, you see Michigan's offense still kind of in that running those 90s offense plays where it's just kind of under center and not really opening up the uh, the playbook much. And I wonder if that's like, is Gaddis really not the guy that they thought he was or is this Harbaugh holding him back? Yeah, I think we'll get into it a little bit later, but I do feel like it is the latter more than the former. Yeah, um, not yeah, not to like pitch or poach points from later on the podcast. But yeah, yeah, I just a lot of frustration, I think, surrounding that and just justifiably so. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we'll talk about that more later. All right, our next headline, we've got uh, not even really a headline because there's no real end to this or one thing to talk about here, but it's just the never ending Antonio Brown saga. What, what, what was your first reaction or what is your continuing reaction? <laughs> yeah. Uh, just the first thing that came to mind really was Larry Johnson, the football player, not the basketball player, because I feel like that needs to be clarified, um, who also kind of made Twitter headlines earlier this month, earlier this week, even for tweeting out a variety of just inane statements that made everybody say, oh, yeah, CTE is definitely real. And Larry Johnson has it in a bad way. We're seeing the same sort of erratic behavior with Antonio Brown. I'm not sure what's going through the guy's head. I don't think that he deserves a spot back in the league, but for him to self-sabotage this hard is like insane. And it makes me wonder if there's just a deeper issue here, namely CTE. So that's why I think of Larry Johnson, who is also off his rocker. Yeah. I hope, you know, I hope they figured out, I guess, but I'm not also big fans of them personally. So whatever. Yeah. I mean, my first response, like anytime I see any sort of Antonio Brown headline is just to make it stop. I mean, it's it's been going on for yeah. <laughs> several months now. I think we're all sick of it, and then it just keeps getting worse. 
And yesterday he went on the Twitter tirade, basically calling out anyone who's had any sort of sexual allegations against them. And they're still in the league for whatever reason, whether it's a player or a GM or an owner. So yeah, it's just, like you said, it seems like there's uh there's more at play here than him just being crazy. It seems like this might actually be like a CTE type of case where he might not actually like have full control of what he's doing right now and whatever helps they need i hope they get um that doesn't excuse antonio brown from some of the if the allegations are true it doesn't excuse him from what he may or allegedly has done so you know still cte isn't something to take lightly so anyway all right next one we've got the giants get their first one of the season in a thriller versus tampa bay daniel jones threw for 336 yards and two touchdowns and then added two more on the ground So my reaction to this was that it's deserved, mainly because, you know, the Giants ever since that pick have been just getting dragged through the mud about about taking him number six. Oh, yeah, for sure. A lot of skepticism about whether he was actually worth it and all that. And I admittedly was not a guy who thought he was worth it, but I'm never a guy who's going to root against a player. So I thought it was cool to see him go out and actually play well, get the win. Granted, I... Tampa Bay's kicker couldn't make a field goal to save his life. If he makes one field goal, they win that game. <laughs> but still, I mean, he got the win. He made yeah, the right. he he made uh, took him on a long drive to take the lead late in the game. I mean, you can only play what's in front of you, so it's not really his fault that Tampa Bay's kicker couldn't make a field goal. So yeah, I thought it was fun to watch. It was deserved. It came out of cost though. Saquon out for four to eight weeks. So yeah, that was tough. I I guess they now get to see what. Daniel Jones can do against a couple better defenses. Coming yeah, with up too. a yeah, and without a generational running back. Yeah, for sure. Um, my uh, my word association was Mitch better. Uh, <laughs> for all this talk about Daniel Jones, people seem to be forgetting that Mitch lit up the Bucks last year, and uh, feels like we just sort of disregarded that. This seems to be a Daniel Jones coming out party game. Why wasn't it that for Mitch Trubisky? I'm not sure. There seems to be a double standard at play here. Uh, is it because Duke is venerated and loved among the masses? I'm not one to say, but UNC is a school of the people, and Mitch is a quarterback for the people, and that's all I'm going to say about that. All right, uh, I'll leave it at that. We'll talk about Mitch a little bit more later. Uh, our next one is, and this is a little, a little late, but uh, U.S. basketball underperforms at. Is it? Is it actually like said FIBA or? Just FIBA? I've I've said it FIBA. Okay. Yeah. We'll just say FIBA. They crashed out in the quarters after losing to France 79 to 89. Uh so my reaction was it's not unexpected, I guess. I mean, I think we're used to US basketball just dominating these international competitions at this point. But going into this, you just saw all the lists of players of all these guys dropping out. And there was really only one. NBA all-star level player on the roster. And that was Kemba. And mm-hmm. outside of that, it, it it really just seemed like a ragtag tag group of players, not to say like they weren't good players, but at the international level, and especially with teams like France and Spain and some of these countries putting together pretty solid rosters, the U S definitely seemed like they were lacking this year. So I, I don't think it was surprising to see them lose. It was still kind of, shocking at the time just you know because you 
you tend to expect more, but I, I can't say that this was all that unexpected. Yeah, I think, I mean, my, my reaction was just about time. Um, I think when the U.S. wins every year, there starts to become this sort of hyperbolic truth that's accepted among sports fans that the U.S. could stomp international competition if it just sent college kids or if it, you know, if it sent D-League players or anything like that. And this was a nice reminder that, no, the international community is actually a lot better than we give it credit for. Um, hopefully that same sort of perspective will be taken into account when evaluating future prospects from Europe, because we saw a lot of people say, oh, European competition that Luka Doncic plays against, that's nothing like NCAA basketball. Right. That's obviously not accurate. We've seen that in, in the international stages. The U.S. came out. They weren't, they weren't properly constructed as a team. They didn't have enough star power to carry those deficiencies. And it, you know, it ended up with them leaving before they even made the final, uh, losing to a team that also did not win the World Cup. So, yeah. you know, it is what it is, but you have to give credit, I think, to the international teams for being this good. Um, while, si- I mean, you can be mad at Team USA all you want, but I think you should also be giving these European teams credit. Yeah, and even after that that loss, uh, uh, Pop had a good quote where he he all the criticism that was going against the U.S. players, he he said like instead of being mad at them, how about we just like credit the other countries for putting mm-hmm. together rosters that are actually like that are competing now and that are better than us in some ways. Like he, yeah, it it was definitely a direct response to people who have been trying to blame all the guys that are dropping out or that had dropped out this year which was cool to see from his point of view where I, I I was also kind of on the side where, you know, I don't blame these guys for dropping out. It sucks because you want to see, it's fun to see these guys all play together at the international level and, mm-hmm. and put together teams that you don't get to see otherwise, or that you may only see at like the all-star game. But yeah, even then, like it's not really the same because they're just playing against each other. But now you get to see these guys play against, international talent that you may not get to see in the NBA. All right. Our last headline here, we have the NCAA is set to notice, notify Kansas basketball of violations, including some level one allegations and level one is the highest level of allegations. What was your first reaction? Call him bill shelf because he's as good as gone. You may (laughs) as well forget about him. That man is ready for an NBA job. And he can take it from Jim Boylan, but that's a different conversation. (laughs) Um, I mean, is anyone really that surprised by this? I think we all knew in our heart of hearts that Kansas was getting away with some pretty shady stuff. Mm -hmm. They're definitely not the only school getting away with it. Um, But for them to get cracked down on like this is kind of just overdue at this point. I, I think everyone, Kansas fans aside, was about ready for this to happen. So, you know, good luck rock chalk jayhawk on all that but uh it's not looking great yeah my reaction was um i don't know how to convey this as a just over audio but it was just a shocker with a sarcastic face um it's just no one's surprised really i think a lot of people who don't like kansas which there's a lot of people who don't like kansas i think we've been waiting for something like this to happen and yep I, I think a lot of people have been waiting for Bill Self to also get kind of hit with some of these. And right now it's unclear if he is going to be personally named in any of the allegations. But even if he's not, 
it always comes back on the head coach. So especially at a, a blue blood program like Kansas, it's going to come back to him in some right. way, even if he's not directly involved. Right. So yeah, uh, this might be the writing on the wall for him. All right, let's go to dummy of the week. And we each have one. So I'll let you start with yours. All right. You guys probably know where this is going. It's Jim Harbaugh. That man does not know how to scheme an offense for the 21st century. I, in year five, this program was supposed to be among the nation's elite, and they don't even look like they're top three in their own conference. Um, too much reliance on uncreative running or trying to get too cute uh, in certain pass plays, things like that. People kind of laughed at the beginning of the year when Jim Harbaugh said, we may as well have two quarterbacks in the field at the same time and Dylan McCaffrey and Shea Patterson. They've tried that, and the joke isn't funny anymore. <laughs> um, it doesn't work. Pick one, play him like a quarterback, and maybe we will win games. Um, the wide receiver core is way too good on this team to be used as poorly as it's been used this year. And I'm beginning to worry that someone is going to transfer because they're not being used properly. Um, there's, you know, there's no real evidence I have that would point to that, but I can't help but feel like people are getting frustrated and justifiably so. This offense is a stinking turd on the sidewalk. And I don't know. I don't know what the solution is. I'm at the point where it's Harbaugh out, I think, is the only change that I'm looking for. Give Gaddis the reins, I guess. Um, yeah, I don't know. Looking down the barrel of a long season here. <laughs> yeah. Like, like I mentioned earlier, I thought the Gaddis hire was going to change things, but I'm fairly convinced. And I had, I have another friend who I talked to this about, and he, he brought up that point too, that he was like, if, even if Gaddis is like this, uh, like amazing play caller and is going to revolutionize the offense or whatever, is Harbaugh going to actually let him do that? And it doesn't seem like he is. It seems like Harbaugh just has too much power or just doesn't want to let go of the reins. And it shows because the offense just sucks. <laughs> and um, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, I, I've been a proponent of just, you know, I mean, what's the point in starting Shea Patterson at this point? You have McCaffrey, who's what, a sophomore? Uh, maybe a junior? I don't know what year he is, but like, Shea Patterson's going into, I believe this is his last year of eligibility, right? It is, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, why not play the young guy? But what you said about the two quarterbacks thing, it's kind of funny because Ohio State had a similar issue with JT Barrett and Cardale Jones a few years ago, and we always said that if you have two quarterbacks, you really have none. And it's just – Yep. It's one of those things where if you keep trying to rotate quarterbacks or try to play some sort of two-quarterback system – when has that ever worked? I mean, the only time it ever worked that I can think of is like Tim Tebow and Chris Leak. And even then, Tim Tebow wasn't really brought in as a passer. He was just brought in as a, a goal line fullback, essentially. <laughs> That's pretty much the what he was. Taysom Hill of his time. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, we've seen teams try this two-quarterback thing. It doesn't work. You don't get any rhythm. And you don't get any sort of chemistry between quarterbacks and their receivers. And it's showing this year for Michigan. Okay. I will go to my dummy of the week and that's Freddie kitchens. So the Browns offense is 
is far too talented to not be effective. It just, they've got Baker, they've got OBJ, Jarvis Landry, um, Nick Chubb, David Njoku, I guess. I mean, he's hurt now, but I mean, even when he was there, it's not like they were utilizing him that well. I mean, they've got talent on that team, but Freddie Kitchens does not know how to call a game. He does not know how to play call in certain situations as evident as their Sunday night game this past week against the Rams, where on fourth and nine, he had a situation fourth and nine down. I think they were down one possession and he called a draw play. Who the, who calls a quarterback draw on fourth and nine? <laughs> and he, I, he owned up to it in the post game presser, but still, I mean, that's one of those where after the fact you can say whatever, but at the time that's that's not a play call that should ever happen. And then late in the game, like final possession for the Browns, they had first and goal situation and he did not run a single run play, did not target uh, OBJ once. And every single play was a play where he had Baker drop back and wait for routes to develop when all game, the offensive line had just been getting murdered. There is no reason for him to have any sort of play call where it's not just a quick pass immediately like there's Baker wasn't getting any time and on top of that Baker was also scrambled happy um, it seemed like if Baker's first read wasn't there his first instinct was to just start running backwards which is another issue that they probably have to work out but the play calling was just abysmal and this Browns team even with a terrible offensive line if that ends up being the reason like why they're not good because of a bad offensive line, then fine. But the play calling should be based around what their offensive line is, and it hasn't been. So right now, most of the blame, I would say, goes on the play calling and not taking advantage of what you have. So that's yeah, mine. I totally that's my agree. dummy of the week. <laughs> and uh, since we're almost wrapped up with week three of the NFL, let's start doing some time to panic or are they for real? Um, so we'll start with time to panic and coming off the Browns. For the Browns, is it time to panic? Um, I mean, you just said pretty much everything that could be said about Freddie Kitchens. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't think this is a division where you have to get out to a rip-roaring start to lock yourself into the playoffs. But this is not ideal from a team that was really supposed to come out and maybe seize the reins uh, in the division this year. They made a lot of moves where it was obvious that they're serious about winning right now, and that isn't happening. So I think when you make those kinds of moves and you have certain sunk costs at this point and you aren't seeing results, it's, it's maybe not time to panic, but it is time to ask yourself, where is this breaking down? Um, so I still think they can figure it out. They're obviously super talented on both sides of the ball, uh, but something has to change and rather quickly. Yeah. Like I said, I don't think it's time to panic yet, but there are definitely some very serious concerns. And I will say that despite the terrible offensive play calling yesterday, they still, I mean, they're still in the game with like all the way until the very end. And their defense, despite a bunch of injuries, played incredibly well. So there there are positives to take away, but the identity of this team and the 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 way they've kind of 
portray themselves is that they were going to be an offensive team, you know, with Baker and with Chubb and OBJ Landry, all these guys. And that's not what they've been so far. If they want their identity to Mm -hmm. be a defensive team that kind of just grinds out wins, then that's fine. But that's not what they've been doing so far. And they're one and two with a bad, bad loss to Tennessee. I mean, that was that week one 30 point loss. They needed to, at this point of the season, I think they really needed to be two and one. I'm not sure if many Browns fans were considering the Rams game as a win when looking at the schedule before the season, but that, that Titans loss kind of threw them off track immediately and big time. Yeah. And they have on top of play calling, they also have some very serious penalty issues. They're just every time they get anything going on offense, there's some sort of hold, some sort of ineligible man downfield, something that, 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 kills their momentum and they've got a lot to work out there. And I'm not sure if Brown's fans with how trigger happy they can be on, you know, getting pissed at this team or (laughs) whatever. I'm not sure how much they can handle if this continues all season. All right. How about the Steelers time to panic or not? So they're Owen three. They lost big Ben for the season. They obviously don't have Le'Veon anymore. Don't have Antonio Brown anymore. They don't have, uh, they really just have Juju now on offense. Uh, they've got some pieces on defense. They just traded for Minka uh, Fitzpatrick. TJ Watt is really good. They took Devin Bush in the first round. Yeah, who I obviously love with my whole heart. But <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it. on the one hand, yeah, this is n- probably not like an upper crust playoff team. But on the other hand, that would have been the case whether Big Ben was healthy or not. I think getting him transitioned on his way out and finding out what you have in Mason kind of on a free, no expectations year is a pretty freeing situation. And I don't know. I mean, I'm not a Steelers fan. I don't think most people are sad that they look like a shadow of their former self um, because they haven't really been the epitome of likability. But I don't know. I'm not... I don't think they're a playoff team this year, but I'm not hating that this year isn't going to be a good year for them. I think it could end up being good for them long-term as they transition out of the whole Big Ben, Le'Veon, Antonio Brown thing for good and look to establish their identity post that gigantic fiasco. Yeah, I mean, I said, I put yes with a question mark because I don't really know it's obviously very uncharted territory for the Steelers as an organization and probably for their fan base too. Cause I mean, they're just usually playoff contenders and you just assume that they're going to be in that mix. My biggest question comes with, and I'm, this is coming from someone who as a player, I like Mason Rudolph a lot, but how many third round quarterbacks end up being starters in the league? I can't say that list is very long and he looked good in the first game or last week, but then this past week against Seattle, he did not look good. And yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't think James Conner is a guy like as cool as his story is and all that, but I don't know how much of a franchise back he really is. And I don't know if Rudolph can actually develop into being a franchise quarterback but they just and they just traded away their first for Minka Fitzpatrick. So it's not even like they can go after a quarterback this year in the draft. 
So I don't, I don't really know what their plan is going forward. I guess Rudolph is their guy until he's not. But yeah, I think my biggest concern is more that I don't know where he or where he stands among other like third round quarterbacks and just the general lack of you know if you pretty much if you don't have like a top flight quarterback if there's like a first round pick quarterback you don't really see them starting much in the league anymore. Yeah, I mean Gardner Minshew, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, there's obviously some. Um, outliers, like even Dalton was a second round pick, but he was like a high second round pick. And yeah, I don't know. It's a, I think it's more yeah. just uncharted territory for the Steelers. And I could see as an organization that is not used to this, I could see them trying to do something drastic to change things. Uh, and drastic might include firing Mike Tomlin at the end of the season, which depending on what you think of Tomlin, that may or may not be drastic. Um, I think a lot of, there are some Steelers fans who have been on that train for a while. So maybe it's mm-hmm. a, maybe it's a move that needs to happen, but yeah. uh, who knows? I mean, yeah, no, go ahead. No, I, I mean, I guess I agree with that. I, I, I'm not sure where they're going, um, but I do just think that having kind of a license to tank, is a, is a freeing thing for them. And I, th- I think it's important that they're getting it at the right time. Yeah, that's true. All right, this one we won't talk about too much, but the Philadelphia Eagles, they're in an interesting situation where they're clearly still a talented team, but they are, what, one and two? Yeah, they're one and two, and they are just riddled with injuries all over. And they're coming off a game where their receivers just could not catch the ball. So... I know a lot of people, what, whatever you think about uh, Carson Wentz, he, he looked fine yesterday. Their receivers just dropping everything. And the DBs, back to being the DBs that the Eagles had like two years ago when everyone was hurt or just what not good. Where are they on the panic meter, would you say? I'd be worrying. I mean, you've already committed the big money to Wentz, and he's had a few tough showings so far. He's not looking like MVP Wentz, um, which you don't need him to be MVP Wentz, to be clear. That's not that's not what I'm saying, but I don't know. I mean, this team capitalized on their window at the right time. They got their Super Bowl. I don't think that should be the expectation anymore, and I don't think for many Philly fans it is, but I don't know. I mean... It feels weird to be like, oh, they're, this team is probably trending down rather than trending up when their centerpiece is so young. But a lot of the strength of this team is a D-line and an O-line that are aging pretty rapidly, and their secondary can't hold up. So the question is, what do they look like next year, two years, if they don't make the playoffs this year? Um I wouldn't be super panicked because Wentz is still doing some special things. And I believe that some of their receivers will figure it out. Enough of them will figure it out to pull them through a few wins. Um, But I definitely would be worried as an Eagles fan that this team doesn't look as dominant as you thought it might. Yeah, I think it's I think this is also a season where they have to decide on whether they're going to extend Nelson Aguilar. And after yesterday's game, I would say it's pretty safe to say they probably won't be yeah yeah i mean they're obviously talented but like you said they're aging all over and their window is slowly closing 
And you'd think the Eagles fans, after getting a Super Bowl three years ago, two years ago, that they would be satisfied with that. But it's Eagles fans, and they're not satisfied with anything ever. So, <laughs> I mean, I'm in a Madden league where one of the guys there is an Eagles fan, and he is not... He has not had very much fun this season, and it's definitely showing. So I wonder if the Eagles don't make the playoffs this year, and they get to a point where you know they have to let some of their older guys walk, and you know they just go back to being one of those teams where they're just going to be a fringe team every year. Eagles fans won't take to that very well because I think once that one Super Bowl comes, that's that becomes the expectation. I think especially when the Cowboys are coming on this strong. It's just insult to injury because the Eagles are struggling and they have to watch their biggest rivals just take off. Right. Um, yeah, it's, it's tough, but it's not my team. So what do I care? <laughs> well, speaking about your team, <laughs> here's oh, one no. near and dear <laughs> to your heart. Uh, so this isn't a team, but a specific player, uh, Mitchell Trubisky. What do you I'll start this one off and then I'll let you I'll let you talk about it. OK, after. Uh, is it time to panic about Trubisky? Uh, I think it definitely is. So I heard all offseason about how, you know, it's Trubisky's third year in the league, second year in the system. And he finished the season relatively well last year, came had a nice, relatively nice game against uh, Philadelphia in the playoffs. Uh, but after all those expectations and expecting more or, you know, I don't even think I was expecting more, but I think bears fans were expecting more just with, yep. with Nagy and that offense, there's a jump that was expected this year and it just hasn't happened. And through two games, he has yet to throw a touchdown pass and he had an abysmal like 4.4, uh, yards per attempt last week against uh, Denver, which the Bears fans that I've talked to, they have tried to convince me that that was all part of the scheme and part of the game plan to have him just throw dump offs because of Denver's pass rush and, you know, trying to neutralize that. But at the same time, Derek Carr threw for almost 300 against that same defense the week before in week one. And it's not like Derek Carr is that good either. So it's, I, I think my my thing always comes back to like if your if your coach is consistently calling conservative game plans or play calling is just always doing dump offs. I think that's more of a reflection on what the coach thinks of the quarterback. And if he doesn't think Trubisky can consistently make the throws downfield, then he's not going to have him trying those throws over and over again. So I think that's somewhat of an indictment on Trubisky that he just maybe can't make those throws. And it's showing this year where everyone is just kind of playing up, forcing him to dump it off. Or if he does throw it downfield, no one's either no one's open or he's just missing guys. So yeah, I think, uh, I think it's time to panic on Trubisky. I mean, you trade the bears traded up for him. They, this is not what you expect from a guy that you take number two overall. And yeah, I don't know. As a nope. Bears fan, I'll turn it over to you. And <laughs> yeah, get your opinion. I mean, on this. you and 
you and I are on the same page. It is absolutely time to panic. This is a guy who, like you said, had some promising moments last year. Uh, I alluded to his performance against Tampa Bay. We thought, oh, this is it. Mitch is about to turn the corner. And at points he did. I think he definitely looked better in the second half of the season than he did in the first. Part of that was an adjustment. Part of that was actual growth. But yeah, like you said, we heard all summer about, oh, this is Mitch's breakout year. This is when he puts it all together. Uh, Journalists and coaches were saying he looks so much better. He looks so much more confident. And through the first two games, let me tell you a few things. The rush has looked better, or our runners have looked better. The offensive line has looked a little worse. The receivers have looked more competent. But it's Mitch who can't make these comfortable throws to save his life. And... Like you said, we traded a lot of draft capital to acquire this guy. We acquired him ahead of Deshaun Watson. We acquired him ahead of Patrick Mahomes. Every Bears fan has heard this every week until the end of time. You know, this this isn't new. We are acutely aware of it now more than ever. And for him to not take this step forward, for him to still be struggling with the same things, placement on his deep balls, recognizing how to look off of receivers, which is like an elementary skill if you want to be an NFL quarterback, is moving the coverage by looking off receivers. He's terrible at that. He goes to the first read almost instinctually. And I don't know, it's, it's worrisome because it's not just a tools thing. It's not just an instincts thing. It's not just an IQ thing. It's all three of those things. And if you can't remedy all three of those within two years, what are you doing? You know, and there's, there's a decision to be made. This is upcoming as a great quarterback draft. What are the Bears going to do about it? Because their decision there tells you a lot about what they think about Trubisky. There's a lot of season left. He could still figure it out. But I have to say, I think myself and most Bears fans, most rational Bears fans, are not optimistic. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I think I'm on the same page there. I mean, I'm not a Bears fan, so I, like you said earlier, it's not, not my team. So what do I care? But exactly I, I've, right. I've wash your hands of it. Yeah, I've I've read a lot about it. I've heard a lot about it. That I mean. I keep bringing up the Madden League I'm in, but there's three three of the commissioners in that are Bears fans, so I hear about it every single week. Uh, <laughs> and there's one rational Bears fan in there who is expressing his doubts, and everyone else thinks he's like a fake Bears fan because of that. Um, yeah, it's oh yes, it's insane. Gotta love that. <laughs> All right, so on the flip side, let's talk about are they for real? So we have three teams here that have been. Possibly better than expected, or at least their record has been better than expected, but are they actually as good as the record indicates? So let's start with the two 3-0 teams that I want to talk about, um, the Buffalo Bills. Let's start with them. So they're 3-0. They have they have wins over the Jets, Giants, and the Bengals, who have a combined 1-8 record at this point. So... Yeah, baby. <laughs> and none of those wins have That's been quality partic- scheduling. Yeah, none of those wins have been particularly impressive or like blowout wins either. They've all been fairly close. The Giants win was a 14 point win, but are the Giants even really an NFL team right now? Yeah, it's debatable. Mm. Yeah, um, good question. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the Jets, they uh, had this up. Uh, the Bengals, they barely beat. They needed like a a fourth quarter game winning drive to pull that one out. And then the uh, jets, they only beat by one point. So what do you think? Are they for real? Um, I think they're for real on one side of the ball, but on the other side of the ball, something reminds me of a quarterback we just talked about. <laughs> um, 
I think the Josh Allen scatter plot stuff is going to regress eventually. He was bad more often than not last year outside of a few notable moments where he, you know, hurdled defenders and things like that. And people thought, Oh, this is the highlight machine, Josh Allen. Um, <laughs> I think he's more bad Brett Favre than good Brett Favre. And that could, that statement could come back to bite me. I fully realize that I'm just still not sold on him when he's, when he's on, he's on, but I think like Mitch, he's going to start to restrict this team in what they can do. Um, and he's going to be hurting them more than helping them, and that'll lead to some pretty significant regression in my book. In addition to the loss of uh, Devin Singletary, who I'm not sure how long he's going to be out, but I don't know what this offense is going to do without him, especially if Josh Allen does regress. Yeah, I mean, I'll just take yesterday's game against the Bengals as an example. So first half, Josh Allen was great. I mean, he was hitting guys. He threw for like 160, 180 in that first half. And this is a Bengals pass defense that's awful. I mean, you're supposed to throw for 200 against this <laughs> team and a half. Like. But then in the second half, Josh Allen looked very, very uncomfortable. And he missed guys. At one point, I saw like halfway through the – or like sometime in the fourth quarter, his – total passing yards in the second half was like 20 yards. And Oof. that was after the Bengals had like actually started ramping up the pressure, kind of came back into the game and or uh, tied it up and made it close again and put some pressure on Allen to actually make NFL throws. And he looked beatable and he didn't look like the first round quarterback that he was. So, yeah, I'm very much on the side that their defense is great. Like, their defense so far this year has been elite level, but that's really it. They haven't been great or mm-hmm. even good anywhere else. And I think they've got New England next. I mean, that'll probably be a blowout. I could not imagine Josh Allen doing anything against New England's defense, which has also been a top five defense in the NFL so far this year. And then I think – their, their saving grace might be is that their next like six weeks, they really just don't have that tough of a schedule. Mm-hmm. The, their record is probably going to end up better than how good they actually are or like how not good they actually are. So we'll see. Um, I'm firmly not on the Bills bandwagon yet. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. Don't know if that'll happen this year. But they, they're young for the most part so you know going forward i don't think it'll be if it's if it comes to next year and this is the same josh allen then i think that's there's time for some real concern there all right the next three and team we've got the 49ers their wins are over tampa bay cincinnati and pittsburgh who are also a combined one and eight so <laughs> looks like yeah S- schedule makers are six and oh on the season <laughs> yeah this <laughs> i mean i guess pittsburgh is not being 0-3 is not like that wasn't expected from them this year. Mm-hmm. But the other two teams, Tampa Bay and Cincinnati, I don't think anyone really expected much from them. So it's not like it's not like this was supposed to be some sort of gauntlet schedule. And then again, like the Bills, they haven't been all that impressive through these games. I mean, they're I like Kyle Shanahan and I like what he can do. Their win against Tampa Bay was by 14. I mean, they did beat the Bengals by like 30, but then they barely squeaked <laughs> out a win against Pittsburgh. And that was with, that was at home and with Mason Rudolph not playing well at all. So I'm not really sure what to make of this team at this point. Um, 
I'm also on the side that I don't think they are for real. Um, and like Buffalo, I think their defense is good, but their offense is very beatable. And if you, if they play a good team that does start scoring points, I'm not sure their offense can keep up. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I haven't really watched enough 49ers to say anything definitive, but I don't know, man. I, the biggest takeaway I think I have right now, only marginally related, is how bad I feel for Jarek McKinnon. Um, just two back-to-back seasons not being able to stay on the field. Um, but I guess good news for Matt Breda, who worked really hard and has continued to look really good this year. I think their rushing attack is still one of the more interesting ones in the league. Um, and if that really can sustain its success, then they could be a really interesting team come, uh, come late fall and winter. So I don't know. I think that's one thing to keep an eye on. Obviously people will be watching Garoppolo to see, you know, is he for real? Is he not, um, in his second season with the, with the Niners, but yeah, I don't know. I, I want them to be good. I, I think they're a likable team, but I think it is, like you said, a little too early to say that they are definitively for real. Yeah. And that the Garoppolo thing is a big question mark still, because I mean, they paid him a lot of money off of a very small sample size and mm-hmm. the jury is still out on him. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes when they play actual good teams. And the last one, last team I wanted to talk about, uh, just because of extenuating circumstances. Yeah. The Indianapolis <laughs> Colts. So they're two and one with that one loss being an overtime loss at the Chargers. And their two wins are over the Titans and Falcons, who have not started off the season all that well themselves. So what do you make of the Colts so far? Um, this actually, despite having the worst record, is the team I believe in the most. And I think in part that has to be said that it's they've played against the best schedule of the three of these teams. Um, I don't know. I mean, nothing about Jacoby Brissett is like incredible, um, but he's been really good yeah. and, and legitimately so. I mean, he's been better than just like a game manager good in that they don't necessarily have to replace him after this year. Um, they... They've gotten good returns from their rush. Marlon Mack has been playing pretty solid, albeit through some health issues. Uh, T.Y. Hilton's doing what he can, which is kind of always what he's been doing for the Colts, is doing everything he can to win games for the team. Um, and, you know, they they remain a pretty solid defense, if not a stellar one. Um, I don't know. I, I think, yeah, like I said, this is the team I believe in the most uh, of these three. And it would be really cool to see Brissett succeed as the starter after kind of being this lifetime backup who's been overshadowed by his legitimately terrific, te- terrifically talented starters. Um, it would be it would be really cool for him to kind of have a breakout season. Yeah, especially the situation he was thrown into where, you know, a week before the regular season started, Andrew Luck retired and all of a sudden Brissett's like been thrown into this situation where a team that was previously a kind of almost a playoff lock for most people. And now he's got to come in and keep that going. And I think he's done a pretty good job. And I guess my biggest concern would be injuries for them at this point. Uh, I know T.Y. Hilton got banged up yesterday. I didn't really see what the status was going forward. And they also lost Malik Hooker for four to six weeks or so with a knee injury. Um, So that for a guy who had, he had started off the season pretty well, might be, 
might be a big blow to their defense. I'm not, I don't really know. We'll find out. Uh, but yeah, like you yeah. said, I, this is of the three teams that we've discussed here. This is the one that I believe in the most as well. All right. Well, that wraps up the, are they for real? One last thing before we end this episode, we'll just make our pick for Super Bowl teams through three weeks. Who's impressed you the most on both the AFC and NFC sides. And who do you think would win that matchup? Uh, I'll let you go first. Oh boy. Um, gosh, it, it breaks my heart to say this, but, uh, the Vikings might be for real. I don't know. I, <laughs> I, this is the best the NFC North has felt in, I don't know how long. And it's hard for me to say, oh, you know, is the best team, the Packers or the Vikings. And given my sports allegiances, it's the Vikings. Um, I don't know something about them. That's my, that's my NFC pick. As for my AFC pick, it's the Patriots. They look good. They look good all the time. They don't need Antonio Brown. Even if everyone is hurt, Julian Edelman and Josh Gordon both spent time on the sidelines yesterday. I don't care. They're, they're too good. They're always <laughs> going to be too good. Um, until Tom Brady retires to kiss his son every day, it's, it's going to be like this. This is the way that the world looks now. Um, so Pat's Vikings is my Super Bowl pick. Okay. Um, I'll change it up, I guess. I, I want to go with the Chiefs on the AFC just because Mahomes is a cheat code. I mean, he's already he's in his second yeah. full year as a starter and he's already reached cheat code status. And that offense is unreal. And the, they're doing all this right now without Tyreek Hill. So their defense is still questionable. Yeah. They're going to give up points. They know that. But their offense is more than capable of scoring on anyone. And then mm-hmm. on the NFC side... Also going to change it up. Man, NFC is tough. I'm going to go with... It really is. I'm going to... It kills me to say this. I'm going to go with the Cowboys. I thought you might. <laughs> I think the Cowboys, like Dak, I was, I've always been a very... I guess not out on Dak, but just I've definitely questioned how good he really is. But he's made some strides this year mm-hmm. that I've liked. And it could also be... Kellen Moore as an offensive coordinator for them has done wonders. So it could, it could mainly be him. Yep. Maybe Dak's not actually better. It's just better play calling, but whatever it is on field, they're getting better results on their, from their offense and their defense hasn't been like stellar through the first three games, but they're still solid. And yeah, so I'll go with Cowboys and chiefs. And I think if I had to pick a winner there, I'd, I guess I'll go with the chiefs. Yeah, I think I'd take the Pats pretty pretty safely against the Vikings. Yeah, I I think the, my heart says it's probably going to be the Pats again, but you know, just for the sake of this, I had to change it up. Yeah, I totally get that. We'll have to revisit this in uh, in January and see uh, see how we're looking. Yeah, for sure. But uh, until then, <laughs> yeah, until then, go uh, every team that's playing the Bengals. Let's go own sixteen, number one pick, and. Um, I, for for your sake, I hope Trubisky figures it out. Yeah, or that we draft Jalen Jalen Hurts. I guess <laughs> I'm not picky. <laughs> anyway, all right, that's all I got. Yeah, uh, thanks for being on. That wraps up this episode, and uh, we'll see you again in two weeks.